Well, I think we got all the ballots. If, if you need to turn one in, still, you're free to do that. But up to this point, uh, Mike just handed me the slip that said it's unanimous. So that's the plan. <clears throat> and uh, we'll pray that God will direct us through this. We're going to need a lot of help, of working together through it. And uh, particularly, as I, and I want to just clarify something, too, that on the parking, that we're going to try to have signs and spaces for elderly, uh, handicapped, and visitors. And we're going to not only have signs, but also people working out there. We're also going to need people helping to keep an eye on the kids when they walk out the door. It's a little busier uh, there. So we're putting all that together. Lots of opportunities uh, for all of us uh, to be involved. Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and... We'll be looking at verse 13 in just a moment. I'm going to do a, a brief series during the month of August and talk to you <clears throat> about a concept that is probably a bit foreign to, in our thought, or at least for most of us. If, if we woke up today, and I'm sure you've done this before, <clears throat> wake up and say, this is a perfect day. I, in fact, I thought that walking out, uh, this morning outside, getting ready to get in the car, I thought, this is a perfect day. Now, I don't say that usually at the end of the day. <clears throat> or you might say this, I landed the perfect job. Well, probably after your first day <laughs> or first month. Or I bought the perfect house. Or I am married to the perfect person. Um, Someone said, I never met that person, but it was my, my wife's first husband. <clears throat> but uh, we all know that we're not perfect. We might talk about the perfect church. You know, I found the perfect church. Well, all you got to do is go one Sunday, and you realize that things are not perfect. And I think all of us would, would like perfection. I'd like to be perfect. I'd like not to make mistakes. I'd like not to have bad thoughts. I'd like not to do stupid stuff. Sometimes I wish I could just rewind. Have you ever wondered, you know, if I could just rewind, and then I think, no, because I don't know if I'd do any better. <laughs> Can I rewind my life and try again, knowing what I know? But then I'll get hit by another proof, the fact that I'm not perfect. Now, not only would I like to be perfect, I would like for everyone around me to be perfect, and they're not, except, of course, my wife. <laughs> I say, is your wife perfect? No. Is your, your children perfect? No. Are your friends perfect? No. Is there anyone perfect? No. Are your grandkids perfect? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I start to, to think, too, that when God created the earth, He said, it is good. It was perfect. And there is a desire that I have personally to be perfect and for you to be perfect, everyone I know to be perfect, my surroundings to be perfect, my job, my house, my car, everything to be perfect. And you think, well, what really motivates that? What drives that? A desire to be perfect. And I think that for most of us, we, we have that desire, and 
The Scriptures also tell us, Matthew 5, 48, this is in, in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I think, wow. <laughs> okay, so not only is that fundamentally something you'd like, I'd like, we'd like, He commands us to be perfect. But the frustration comes when when I quickly realize I'm not perfect, no one around me is perfect, nothing in life is perfect. And so we, we have this tension, and I think often we just feel like giving up. We do, we feel like giving up. Because the distance between our desire for perfection, our goal, or what we, we'd often call our expectation, our expectation, you know, you get married, you have expectations. You get into a new job, you have expectations. And expectation is here, reality is here. And reality exposes those facts, and we get discouraged and we get weary. And the problem is, we keep on sinning. And even though I'm a Christian, and even though I love God, and even though I want to go to heaven, and even though I love good things, I I keep on sinning. And I just sometimes feel like giving up. And particularly, I think for most of us, we have what we call besetting sins or designer sins. <laughs> In other words, those are the ones that you particularly struggle with and everyone else doesn't. You know, and, and you could brag, well, I don't struggle with this and I don't struggle with this and, and sit in judgment. And it's, it's a lot more fun to judge other people uh, than to judge yourself. But you know, you say, oh, I, don't, I'm not, um, I don't have this issue I'm not a child molester, I'm not a, I'm not a drunk, I'm not a drug addict, I'm not a this, but you know what, you've got a problem with your tongue. And it's a besetting sin. Or a problem with pornography, or a problem with lying, or a problem with uh, an addiction. And we are reminded constantly, what we, and we call the agony of humanity, and there is this desire for us to be rid of that. So when Jesus gives this command, be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect, he's really going back to an Old Testament teaching that says, be holy for I am holy. God says in Leviticus to his children, be holy for I am holy. And the text we'll be looking at this morning is be holy because I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. I'm going to read down to that point in just a moment. But as I read that, I'm going to bring up three questions that, that this morning and over the next couple of weeks, I'd like to try to answer. But let's read this text first. First Peter chapter 1, and beginning with verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The first question I want to ask is this, what does it mean to be holy? And you think, well, the first thing is pure, clean, right, 
without flaw, without sin. We could define it often with light. It says, uh, God says in his word that, that God dwells in unapproachable light. So sometimes light is used to depict this. Honesty. It is purity. It is integrity. It is everything right. Nothing of sin. And it is the very nature of God. God is holy. So not only do, do we find it defined by a list of words to say pure, clean, right, and everything else, that God in his essence is holy. And, you just, and, and, and sometimes we, we, we ask, is that his most important attribute? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, God's holy, God's loving, he's merciful, he's, he's all-powerful, he's all-wise. Which one is the most important? And... Uh, I don't know that we can say that. I think God is so immense and so incredible beyond us, incredibly beyond us, that, that for us to rank order, you know, well, first he's holy and then he's loving because all of it fits together. And one of the most unique places that you see all of his attributes, holiness and righteousness and justice, and on the other side, mercy and love and grace and tenderness, where all of these attributes of God come fully expressed to us is when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Uh, in Christ, we see God's holiness and God's justice and God's purity and the fact that God doesn't tolerate sin. But we also see His incredible love in His tenderness, in His long-suffering, in His mercy. And that's why when we say in Christianity that, that God is, is desiring to reveal Himself to us that we might know Him in a personal and, and real and intimate relationship, the only way that we do that is through His Son. So God is holy. We would say heaven is holy. In fact, His entire uh, domain of where He lives is holy. His word is called holy. And we are not. <laughs> God is holy and we are not. And so when you think about this, that in, in what really what happened, when God created the heavens of the earth, and you read in Genesis how, how this took place, in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth and he, and he said, let there be light. And he, he established over those six days of creation this world. And after each day, he said, it's good. It's good. And it was perfect. It was perfect. And something happened in Genesis chapter 3 that we call the fall. And the fall was that Adam and Eve made a choice to sin. They made a choice to disobey God. And what happened when they did, you say, well, why, if God is really loving... And God knew that they would do that. How could a loving God allow them to choose something like that? Because that, that really put the whole world into chaos, didn't it? I mean, one person's sin has affected the entire human race for all ages. All pain, all sickness, all death, all sorrow, all misery, everything that in your day is bad, you can trace back to that stupid decision. <laughs> you say, if I was only there, 
<laughs> well, yeah, if you were there, you'd probably do something stupid too. So if, if God is loving, why would he do that? And I think that probably, you know, I'm, I'm just a human being trying to explain some great truth. But I would say this, that if God made us robots where we had no choice, in other words, I get up, I obey, I obey, I do God's will, yes, Lord, yes, sir, I do His will. What kind of relationship is that? So God has a whole world of robots who can't sin. They can't choose. But God made Adam and Eve free moral agents. In other words, they, they had the ability to make a decision. And once they made that decision, then they lost all ability to make any other good decision after that. I mean, you can make good decisions, but everything is affected by sin. That's why in Romans it says, there's none that seeks after God, there's none that does, does good. And so what happened is, you had man going to work, and I, and I think that, I don't think work is a bad thing, because I think Adam was working. <clears throat> but now he said, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, and it's not going to be a, a fun experience. And for a woman to have a child was a wonderful thing, but it's not going to be a fun experience going through that. Then we see the effects of sin everywhere. Everywhere you turn. It's, it's my nature is to be selfish. My nature is to do wrong, and so is yours. And so now we have a whole world that's been, it's come under the curse of sin. You say, well, that's God's fault. No, it's, it's man's fault. And this is why when we, when we talk about this whole concept of holiness uh, and God working, what you ask, why is it so important of being holy? So my second question, first question is, what does it mean to be holy? Pure, right, without sin, the perfect state. We'd all desire. God commands it. It's what we want. In fact, if, if that could happen right now for everyone, be wonderful. That's what we look forward to in heaven. What is the purpose of being holy? And this is kind of when we get to, and I think a little uh, deeper level than just your surface presentation. Why would you want to be holy? Well, if we're honest, life would be a lot easier, <laughs> wouldn't it? I would feel a lot better about myself for one. If I could look back and think, you know what, I've never done anything wrong. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I've never done anything wrong. And I, I could go through an entire day without messing up. You know what? Life would be good. Then other people would feel good about me. You know, I mean, I walk into the room, it's perfection. <laughs> I don't know if they feel good about that. <clears throat> And then, if everything is perfect, that means you're perfect too, and you're not going to bother me as much. I'm not going to bother you as much. So we would be free from all pain and all trouble. It's like this asking a parent, what's the real motive that you want your kids to obey? I think if we search our hearts sometimes, not the whole to be pleasing to God and well-received. No, it's because we just don't want the hassle. Because every time they're screaming and not obeying and not doing the right thing, it's annoying, right? So you can want the right thing and have the wrong motive. 
What is the purpose? Why, why do I want to be pure, clean, holy, and right? And I think, I want to answer this question because I think you've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Why did God make man and make woman? And I think God made them for His pleasure and for fellowship. In other words, relationship. When we talked earlier about the most important thing in our church is our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. You go back to what Jesus taught. He said you can take all the law and all the commandments and take all the things in the Scripture and, and hang them on these two things. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what, what are all these rules and regulations about? It's about relationship. Why did God create Adam? Why did God create Eve? Why did God bring them into this perfect setting? Is so that they might have relationship with Him and have relationship with each other. And I think that when you understand that, the motive, the motive does make a difference. And in that original state, I think we learn a lot. And there is no fellowship and closeness when there's sin. So here's what happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did God have them do, among other things? He drove them out of the Garden of Eden. He drove them out. Because this is a perfect place. You are no longer perfect. You don't fit, and we have no fellowship. It also caused strain in their relationship. Why do husbands and wives have strained relationships? Why do any of us have strained relationships? It's because of the effect of sin. And, and you cannot have an intimate, open, honest relationship with anyone if there's sin running through it. Think about that. If, if you're lying to each other, if you're saying hurtful words to each other, what sin does is destroys relationship. And so God's desire for us in working through us, and I think that when you say, what does a Christian look like? A Christian, and I used to ask the college students this all the time, what does a Christian look like? And the first thing is, well, you know, we got to dress this way and look this way and I carry a big Bible and, you know... I, what a Christian looks like is described in Galatians chapter 5 is they're full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. What does a Christian look like? They're full of love. They're patient. They're kind. And when sin enters in, it destroys all of that. In fact... The psalmist said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is not, in other words, holiness is not the end. In other words, I'm, I'm just, I've got to be holy, 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 and I finally, I'm on this, this passionate pursuit of perfection. And I finally get there, and I go, I am holy. It's not the end. It's a means to the end. The end is Christ. The end is God. The end is relationship. The end is fellowship. But you can't have fellowship with God one day in the perfect heaven unless perfection takes place here. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for your sins, to wash them away. We're going to talk about that next week. 
is, is in making you perfect. You say, well, I don't feel too perfect today. Right. But there, there is this work that Christ accomplished on the cross, and not just for you to be holy so you can brag to other people how good you are, but it made you holy so you can once again have perfect unity and relationship with God. In other words, you have fellowship with Him. And what happens is not only do we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. Holiness is not the end. God is the end. Holiness is a descriptive uh, phrase of what, what we have in the environment of God's nature and what is necessary to be with Him. So a third question, I'll just quickly address this. How do I become holy? And uh, I tell you, if, if we chase the wrong thing here, we're not going to succeed. How do I become holy? Well, here's what you do. First, you start off with God's list of the Ten Commandments. And you keep them. But there are only ten of them. And you need a lot more than ten. Now, this is what the Pharisees did. So they came up with over 600 rules and regulations. <clears throat> now, if I can make my list of rules and regulations and I can keep them, and I check them off, then I really feel pretty good about myself. Now, and, and it also helps me evaluate you. Because if I go around my, with my list, <clears throat> I, can, I can check on you and, and see, did you, now, now, how are you doing? Uh, 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 oh, no. Now, and, and what's nice is I can, I can rework my list so it doesn't really focus so much on me but on you. <laughs> it's a whole lot more fun to judge other people. This is what I think started off as a good motive with the Pharisees. You know, we look at the Pharisees and we say, oh, they're horrible people. But you know what? They were the most respected religious leaders in all of Israel. And it's like this. Not only are we going to keep the Ten Commandments, we are going to make a whole bunch more rules and regulations, and we're going to follow those. And it ended up really being just a tool to accommodate what they wanted to do. And they became what we call self-righteous. And self-righteous people cannot come into the presence of the Lord. There's no place in His presence for self-righteous people. It's only humble people. You recognize you're a sinner. So the Pharisees were caught up in what we call legalism. And, you know, you have your list of all your rules and regulations, and I, I feel like if I can do that... And can I, can I tell you the honest truth that, for me, this is very appealing? I like lists. Um, I usually start out Sunday afternoon looking at my week, and I write out my goals, and I write out my lists. How many of you are like that? You do, you're list people, okay? <clears throat> but anyway, I just kind of feel good about my I got everything in order. And then it really feels good to go check things off. In fact, sometimes after I've even done something, I'll put it on my list just so I can check it off. <clears throat> and then you can be really righteous. <laughs> So for some, it's, it's an easy way to go. How do I become holy? Some people will look at holiness and Christianity and they'll say, you know what, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and you know what, He's washed away all my sins, so it doesn't really matter how I live, because I'm going to go to heaven anyway. And what I call this is, is in a uh, misinterpretation and abuse of the, the concept of grace. And I, and I see it, especially with college-age young people. 
It's kind of like, you know, you graduate from high school, I'm free! And, uh, you know, everything's under the blood, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven anyway, I'm going to live it up. Well, I don't think you have a right understanding either of how Christianity works. And I, I've, uh, I've described it this way, that the, the center of the, the road in the Christian life is grace. And there's a ditch on either side. And one of them is legalism and one of them is license. And sometimes, you know, you say, oh, I'm starting to be a legalist. All you people are being legalists. We're listing. We're all about law and say, you know what? We're under grace. You're over in the other ditch. You ever been in a ditch on a country road? <laughs> it's very easy to react. But to understand this, that yes, my sins are forgiven, but I don't want to sin. I don't want to disobey God. You know, when I stop to consider the magnitude of what took place on the cross, of what Jesus Christ did by coming into this world, humbling Himself, dying on the cross for my sins, I'm grateful for that, and I don't want to sin. I think one of my, my favorite passages in the Bible is Romans 7. And it's not because I... I like the experience, but, you know, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are just rich uh, texts. Romans 8, we've read several times here, you know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And, you know, you go on, and, and uh, Tom preached a few weeks ago on Romans 8, 28, and uh, there's just a lot of great texts, but chapter 7 of Romans talks about Paul's agony. Uh, he, he says, the things that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know I should not be doing, I do. And then he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's like, oh, wretched man that I am. And I think all of us feel that way. But you realize this, that God has forgiven us. And he, he keeps on reaching out no matter how low we step down with his grace. How do I become holy? It's not keeping a list. It's not throwing off all discipline in your life. It's by seeking the person. And this is really my first of four major points that we'll, we'll talk about is, is that holiness is really about a person. It is coming into his presence. It's not a, things that I do and don't do. It is about coming to a person. And I think there's a way to to describe this, you know how the tendency is, you ever say to your kids and you're driving in the car, your kids are all small, and uh, you see something that you don't want them to see, and you say, don't look! <laughs> what do they do? And um, we've been down, of course, we went on vacation to Silver Dollar City. Anybody been to Silver Dollar City? Branson, Missouri. And they've got the general store, and they've got this hole, knot hole that's punched out on the wall of the general store, and it says right over over that, don't look in this hole. Now, I mean, you, you put that in front of any, any kid or adult. <laughs> and so I'd sit over there and, and watch people come by, and they'd, they'd, they'd look at that, look around, and look in. And so you know what was behind that wall? How would I know? Do you think I'd looked? <laughs> yeah, I did. There's nothing there. But it's almost like this, you know, you say, I want you to think of a number between 1 and 10, but not 6. Don't think of 6. Any number, you pick a number, but not 6. You got a number? Not 6? <laughs> Here's what I think we do. When 
holiness in this concept really means what we use the word separate or separated or separated. And it's what we are separated to. It's very easy for us to be consumed with what we're separated from. Okay? So I'm against addictions and drunkenness and immorality, and I am against uh, all the things that I'm against. That doesn't tell you what I'm for, does it? And, and what I fear sometimes is you get people coming into church and the biggest thing on their mind is I am, I am gripped with pornography or I have, I have a problem with alcohol or I, you know, and there is a zillion things we struggle with. And you become obsessed with resolving your problem. And that consumes your life. And, and, and what happens is it begins to identify you. It's just kind of like that's all you think about. I'm not doing something. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I believe this, when you get your gaze off of what you're separated from and on to what you're separated to, everything else gets resolved. Everything gets resolved. I've used the illustration before that when I married Diane, part of the, she told me, she said, we're going to memorize our vows. Oh, I know I'm going to freeze up. <laughs> so I, I worked on that. <clears throat> I remember the vows we said to each other, it was kind of in that old English. You know, ours was kind of in, forsaking all others, or forsaking all other, keep myself only unto thee. I, don't, I haven't called her thee since, but I said, I looked in her eyes, and I said, forsaking all other, keep myself only unto thee. Now, what does that mean? Forsaking all other. That means that every other woman in the world, I'm, gonna, I'm saying no to, and one woman I'm saying yes to. Now, do I spend all my time going around going, nope, 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 nope? Going out today, I'm telling all those other women out there, like they really care. <laughs> not you, baby. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. No. But as I say, to, and I've said this to many times, I hope about every day of our marriage, I love you. You're the only, only one for me. And if I say, you are the only one, one for me and I'm captivated by her, then everything else is resolved. And I believe this, that when, when you get focused on the right things and let that be your obsession, God begins to resolve things. That's why when someone comes into the church, and you know what, typically when people, people come to the church, they're sinners, they're just like us. And they struggle. And if someone walked in the door and said to me, I've got, I, I've got a crack addiction, is that his greatest need? What's his greatest need? Greatest need is Christ. You know? And what, what do sinners do? They sin. <laughs> That's what they do. So when you, when you go out, and I know there are things that bother us out in the world, but you know, if you're already going, oh, 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 look what they're doing. That, sinners sin. You know that by personal experience. But when I can take a crack addict, a drunk, an immoral person, a person who is ready to end their life, and I come to introduce them to the reality of Jesus Christ, to know Him personally, to love Him, to be filled with Him, He resolves those things. Now, we'll, we'll probably address some issues. Now, now, here's some things that can help. Here's what we can work through. But holiness, 
purity, righteousness, should be defined by the person who we are separated to, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why I love when it says, be holy, for I am holy. Well, in other words, God's holy. If you're going to come into His presence, then you're going to have to be holy. But you need to recognize that the solution and the answer for your holiness is found in Christ Himself. And I would try to say this, it's, it's from the inside out. It's from the inside out. Uh, Jesus talked about the cup, you know, that you clean all the cup on the outside, but it's dirty on the inside. You know, we're really good about, I saw Christians that are into image management, what I call performance, performance Christianity. In other words, this is what I do. And image management, I manage my image. And so, you know what, if I'm doing all the right things and I manage my image, I'm doing great, right? Sometimes you're just dying inside. We have a superficiality. Genuine transformation is from the inside out, and it comes by believing what God's saying and learning to build a relationship. And He gives us the tools. We've talked about these the last several weeks, the tools. He gives. First of all, when you say, Lord, I believe <clears throat> by faith, and I'm trusting in what you did for me on the cross, I believe. You become a Christian. That's all it takes is belief. I recognize I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. I know there's no hope for me to be in a perfect heaven with my sin. Thank you for dying, sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I believe I accept you as my personal Savior. When that is done, not only do you become a Christian and have a home in heaven prepared for you, but the Holy Spirit, God Himself, takes up residence in your life. Isn't that great? And He begins changing you from the inside out. That's why the, heart, the heart's the key. And if you've never done that, uh, that is one of the, the, it is the greatest invitation in all of life is when God says, come to me. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. The work has been done. He cried from the cross, it is finished. In other words, I have done what needs to be done for you to be saved, to be clean, to be holy. And I desire a relationship with you. Remember we talked about how he, he stands at the door, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And it's not just that I come in, oh, i got Jesus in my heart. And I'll, and I'll eat with him, I'll sit down with him, I'll fellowship with him. And what that does is it, is it creates the ability to fellowship with other people as well. He's given us his spirit, he's given us his word, and he's given us the access of prayer to be able to talk to him anytime. And you know what I could say in my own life? I need to learn to pray better. I need to study the Bible better. I need to recognize the Holy Spirit work in my life. So we're going to talk next week about how <clears throat> it, there's also a part where instantly you become a child of God. But you know, like when a, when a child is born, when a baby's going to be born, we've got some more babies going to be born here pretty soon. We've had some babies, got babies to be born. Well, there's the new birth, but then there's all the growing. That's the fun part. You know, I mean, all the kids are growing up, and they're... And that's what is is a Christian, and it's not perfect, but that's what we do together. So, when you recognize and are reminded you're not perfect, <laughs> like today, don't give up. Don't give up. 
But at the end of this, and this is where I'm going to go here in a couple of weeks, is that in, you, know, you come to Christ, you walk through this life, this, this imperfect world, and finally, someday, we're with Him. And it's not because, hey, I'm going up there to see the pearly gates. Oh, the streets paved with gold. Oh, I can't wait to see the, you know, you know, you know what's so great about heaven? It's Christ. And it's the people. How many of you know people that are in heaven today? I mean, people that are going, okay, you'll see them again. I mean, it's, it's about relationship. And you know why, you know why there's no fighting, no bickering, no arguing in heaven? Because it's a perfect place. God is perfect, the environment is perfect, and He's making you perfect. And so that's why, and we look forward to that. God gives, so no matter how difficult your days are, we have so much to be thankful for and so much to look forward to, to being with Him. And my prayer is this, that when you think about holiness and perfection and being right and true, that you understand the context, that the reason for that, the motive for that is that we enjoy our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and then in turn we enjoy relationship, a full, rich relationship with each other. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, you know our tendency to sin. And we get so discouraged when we try, we fail, and all around us we see the same. To realize that you are a holy God you're also a loving God, and you have made it possible for us to fellowship with you. And we pray that you would give us a hunger and desire to enjoy that in your presence. I pray that if there's anyone here that has never really had that matter settled in their own heart, that they would do so and uh, come to you in faith, believing simply. And we thank you for giving us these promises so our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and for some of you you know eternal life in heaven in that perfect state is not something you've thought a lot about but it is a reality and that's what we're here for is not just to make sure that you get to heaven someday I mean ultimately that's probably the biggest thing for eternity how you stand but secondly, how you approach this life. And because uh, we're not perfect. And deepening your relationship with Christ. You know, our prayers that you'll be able to do that. After the service today, if, if you'd like to talk, we're, we're here, we're available. We'd love to be able to do that. All right, if you look up this way for just a moment, uh, Paul's going to lead us in a concluding song and one other thing that I wanted to mention that we have several people that would have uh, asked about being baptized and if you have any question about that with some children, adults I think we're planning on September the 14th, I think Tom you st we're still kind of planning on that date uh, the guy he led to Christ at the, at the, at the shop uh, it's a kind of exciting story but if there are others uh, to be able to see Tom. Also, Jay, if they're children, J.K., uh, talk to him about that too. So, Paul, thank you.